This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. You're listening to episode 135. Let's fake it till we make it! Of the In Between podcast, where you'll discover ideas to build a strong, connected, and joy filled marriage and family. My name is Daniel Lim. And I'm Christina M. And we're not condoning faking it till we make it. No, definitely not. <laughs> no. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. Yeah, <laughs> I definitely have done that many a time. Mm-hmm. Which is why today we're so excited to interview Lisa Harper about the hidden treasure of difficult times let's stop faking it through the hard stuff mm-hmm. through our interview with lisa she is going to be talking about the hard things and how even in the difficult times that we can see god shining through whether you are single longer than you want to be whether you have lost a loved one whether you've been hurt by other people especially christians and whether you are learning to grieve with hope she is going to touch on all these points and really we pray that you walk away from this episode realizing that it's okay to go through hard times and that god is with you Mm-hmm. Lisa Harper, for those of you who don't know her, is an engaging, hilarious communicator, as well as an authentic and substantive Bible teacher that many enjoy hearing in person or on countless TV and radio programs. She holds a Master of Theological Studies from Covenant Seminary and a Doctorate in Progress at Denver Seminary. She's been in vocational ministry for 30 years and has written 15 books and Bible study curriculums, but says her greatest accomplishment by far is that of becoming Missy's mama her adopted daughter from Haiti. They live on a hilly farmette south of Nashville, Tennessee, where they enjoy eating copious amounts of chips, queso, and guacamole. Yeah, if you didn't love her before, you love her now, right? (laughs) Right. How can you not? (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's get into the interview. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. Oh, thank you, Christine. I'm so tickled to get to be with y'all. Yes, do. Uh, we want to talk to you today about your newest devotional entitled Life and Podcast Family. I need to read this <laughs> subtitle to you yeah. because it is so good. Okay. You got to do it in one breath. No, I got to pass out. <laughs> there, are, there are comments It is, it is like okay? going to be in the Guinness Book of World Records. Yes, it, it is the longest subtitle known to oh, mankind. But it is so good. It is so good. Okay, it's- you ready? And obsessively grateful. Undone by Jesus, genuinely happy and not faking it through the hard stuff. (laughs) See, I told you it's good, right? (laughs) (laughs) The devotional is such a beautiful reminder that God's grace is more than enough for the massive, the big stuff, and the minuscule, the little stuff, things in life. And Lisa, we honestly, we so appreciated your vulnerability, your humor. Mm. You are so funny. And your use of scripture to remind us of the hope we have in Jesus, especially during this time. Mm-hmm. Would you uh, be able to share with us what you were going through as you wrote this 100-day devotional? Oh, sure. I um, Well, I'll tell you that when Lifeway very graciously asked me to write a vo- devotional, I was like, oh, goodness gracious, I'm not smart enough to write a devotional. And that's for like Ann Voskamp and, and C.S. <laughs> Lewis. Um, but, but when they 
graciously um, persisted. I told him that my non-negotiables were that every chapter would be rooted in scripture because if it's just my stories, that's just noise. Mm-hmm. And and I think we've, as a culture, gotten too far away from God's promises. You know, we're we're apt to listen to a podcast or a blog or or read a book about God's word. And I was like, nope, everything has to be rooted in in the word of God, which is so perfectly redemptive and you know, more than a plumb line, it's a lifeline. But then I also said, y'all, I, I have one subtitle I want to use, that crazy subtitle you read. And they were like, uh, yeah. They were like, we don't think that'll really work as a subtitle. And I was like, well, that's my, that's really my only non-negotiable because I want people to feel safe before they crack the cover to go, oh, this isn't another acrostic about trying to be better. This isn't about, you know, our deservedness. This is about the kindness and the redemptive nature of God. And so shockingly, they let me keep that crazy subtitle. Um, And the genesis of writing it was we were about uh, maybe three or four weeks into COVID. And Missy, my daughter, and I live out, y'all would know this area as as transplants for a little while. Tennessee was so much sweeter when y'all were here. Um, but south of Nashville, it's a, a rural area called Thompson Station. We have a little farmette, five acres on top of a hill. And, and of course, like everyone else in the world, you know, we were, we were, couldn't leave our house for a while. Mm. And so I started getting stir crazy and I'm in the middle of a doctoral program. So I've always got something to read or write, but I got so tired of doing all these papers. I thought I just need to do something physical. And I'm older and single, so I have a lot of power tools. And I was like, I'm just going to go out to the woods and I'm going to cut down some trees with a chainsaw. And then I'm going to plant like hydrangeas or something there. They'll bloom. And so, so, well, you know, it sounded plausible at the time. And so I go outside. I know. That's kind of of a juxtaposition, but I want to be feminine with my chainsaw, Daniel. And so, so I go out and I'm cutting down this tree and I'm like, I have the safety glasses. I'm doing everything the way I'm supposed to do it. I'm listening to worship music in my headphones. And I'm just like so happy that I have something to do that's physical to kind of get the stress out. And I am not the sharpest tool in the shed. My, my brain usually lags a little bit behind what I'm actually doing. And so I had this little, you know how you have those little like balloons over your head, the little epiphany. And I thought, mm-hmm. hmm, I didn't realize this chainsaw threw sparks. And then like immediately after that, I was like, hmm, I smell propane. And I had cut through a propane line and almost oh. blown us up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, so I'm screaming for Missy. I'm like, Melissa! I'm like, we are going to be on like the dumbest things people do when they're oh, no. when they're stir crazy. And it's like right after that, you know, it was I mean, it was funny afterwards. And when yeah. I did it, it was kind of like, oh, my goodness, you you goober that you would go to such extremes when you're discombobulated. And because it, it felt like, you know, I was just a little rattled at the beginning of covid and I really sensed that day when I almost blew us up, I sensed God just going, you know, Lisa, you feel like this is unprecedented and, and you're discombobulated. But if you look back over your life, my presence has always been palpable. I have always mm. been redeeming. And I, I stopped that day and I went inside and I sat down with my Bible and I was like, Lord, I just need you to kind of recalibrate my mind and heart because I am a little 
addled. And I, it, that was really the genesis of this devotional was going back through some times in my life. It's not all looking back. Some of it is. I think we've done ourselves such a disservice in modern Christian culture to go, oh, don't ever look back. I heard somebody preach on, you know, as believers, we should have no rear view mirrors. And I'm like, well, then I guess you have to take Deuteronomy out of the Bible. Um, (laughs) Because, you know, oftentimes God says, I want you to remember what I've done for you. I mean, that's the whole point of communion. Remember, remember, even when you're faithless, even when you forget, I have always been faithful. And so that was kind of the genesis for this. And it was It ended up being just a delight to write because I got to remember again, you know, those times in your life when you go, oh, I almost forgot what he did. And you go back and you're just kind of astounded all over again at his kindness and how he's always in the process of redeeming the, the inherent dignity he imbued in us. So it really was a wonderful, almost a revival kind of process just to even write it. Oh, I love hearing the backstory of that, Lisa. I would love if you would even take us a little bit further into the process because I'm thinking when you're like, okay, let's remember what God has done. I'll sit there for like five minutes and be like, cool, God, I saw your fingerprints in this situation, in this situation, in this situation. High five, God, you are so awesome. Thank you. And I move on. Now you did this like a hundred days. So you, I mean, I'm I'm guessing it probably took you longer than five minutes. Right? It, was, it, was a little, it was a little longer than five minutes. Uh, It was just a smidge longer. It's so funny because my publisher told me at the beginning of the process when they were when they were talking me into it, she said, oh, Lisa, honestly, I don't think it'll take you that long. I bet you can just go back through Instagram. And in a very nice way, she said I was verbose on Instagram because I'm such a windbag. And she said, you could probably just go back through Instagram and mine like a hundred Instagram posts. And like this book will write itself. Well, liar, liar, pants on fire. That was not at all what happened. So I was in the middle of writing a Bible study for Lifeway, a video-based you know, based Bible study. And then I've just started my dissertation for a doctoral candidacy I'm in, and I was writing this devotional. So there were points in the process when I thought I need to kick somebody in the shins because I'm <laughs> staying up all night. But you know, when you do, I mean, writing, writing is a discipline and I'm a very mediocre writer, but, but the discipline of really focusing on Jesus, mm, because I think sometimes mm-hmm. it's almost like I give him a cursory glance because life is so busy and to actually almost have the excuse that it is your responsibility that season to just marinate in who God is and what he's done for us and what he's called us to. It, it, it took many months to write, but it was, I would find myself sometimes sitting at, I usually write, I have a little office, but I usually end up writing at the kitchen table because we have a big window and I like to look out. And I usually write in the night because it's, I want to spend the day with my daughter and doing other stuff. Mm-hmm. And so after I put her to bed, it's usually when I write. And I would find myself one night, I don't even remember which devotion I was writing, but I'll also do those, you know, the rabbit trails where I'll look at something in scripture and then that leads me to something else in scripture. And then I'm reminded of the daughters of Zelophehad and how cool that was. And <laughs> I end up doing, you know, all these deep dives into the Bible. And I found myself at my kitchen table just with tears streaming down my face and such a, so many that I, there were water spots on the, on the bar and then I felt this light. And at first I thought it was an angel. And I turned around and the sun was coming up. Oh. And I thought, 
I have written from 10 o'clock at night until dawn. And the time passed so quickly because I just felt like he was holding me. And Mm. so there's something about, there's just something about having the time to be alone in the presence of God. Mm -hmm. And he changes us. There's something supernatural that happens in that. And so it really was, um, it, it was a it was a privilege to get to write it, but even the process, I just felt like I got to lean into the chest of Jesus a little more fully, and and so it was a, it was a wonderful process. Even the hard parts of it, you know, were, gosh, I can't complain. I'm like, how can you complain that your job is to focus on Jesus? The wait is over. Find out what happens in the thrilling conclusion of the twelfth Dead Sea Squirrels book, Babylon Breakout. Hi, I'm Mike Naraki co-creator of VeggieTales, voice of Larry the Cucumber, and author of The Dead Sea Squirrels. Get ready for more daring rescues and hilarious jokes as Merle and Pearl and their animal friends embark on a ridiculous mission to bust the kidnapped Gomez family out of Babyland, a Bible-themed amusement park with talking animals. Young readers will love the nutty misadventures of 10-year-old Michael and his friends and will learn all about biblical life lessons such as forgiveness and friendship. Read all 12 Dead Sea Squirrels books. Available wherever books are sold. Mm, wasn't that good? That's that's wonderful, Lisa. Um, you know, oftentimes in life uh, we hear this phrase, right? Um, and it's it's usually in kind of among work and the business world and and all that. And then it kind of seems to have seeped into our everyday lives. The the phrase "fake it till you make it." <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. And some people really push it as like, no, this is like my mantra to life. This is what you're supposed right. to do. Right. Well, I think it, you know, it really stems from that sense of wearing masks and, you know, trying to appear to have everything together. So, so we'd love to just ask you, why, why is it important to stop faking it? And how do we stop pretending everything's fine? You know, and we're finding, I just, uh, one of my recent seminary classes was on the, that it was called Revitalizing, Declining and Plateaued Organizations. Um, so it's a, I'm in Denver seminary, but it was a class where we looked a lot of businesses. So this is, you know, this is not Christian culture. These were businesses Mm -hmm. that where we're seeing in our culture that that idea of pretense or faking it till you make it actually is, is not at all beneficial to anyone personally or in business. And they talked about the failure of so many businesses that did not come across as, as honest to their consumers. And they talked about businesses like Southwest Airlines and Netflix. And I'm not advocating either either of those. I'm just saying we did a deep dive study Mm -hmm. of those businesses. And it's been proven that a a large part of their uh, success as a business is based on the fact that they were honest. You know, Netflix a couple of years Mm -hmm. ago made a huge bobble and the president came on and apologized to all the constituents and said, we were wrong. We really messed up. And he changed, uh, you know, sweeping decision he had made cost them millions of dollars. But modern day business advocates will tell you that's what that's that's what you can base the success on their business on now is -hmm. their ability to go. We really messed up. Well, you see that constantly in scripture. You know, I love it Mm -hmm. where Jesus encounters the paralytic at the pool of Bethesda and he's been, he's been paralyzed for 38 years. And some scholars think that the majority of those almost four decades, 
that he was carried to that pool of Bethesda day after day after day after day. And you remember, I love going to Israel where you can actually see these sites and Bible comes Technicolor. I was there just a year and a half ago, got to baptize Missy in the Jordan. But, but as we stood there at the pool of Bethesda, you can just imagine the people crowded around the pool. Of course, the legend was that the finger of God stirs the water. There was an underground spring. And so when the waters would stir, people who were sick would get in the water, believing it had healing properties. Mm-hmm. Well, this this poor paralytic has been going over and over and over and over again to this pool, probably the majority of his adult life, and, and never gets healed. And Jesus walks up and says, you know, why are you not healed? And he says, well, I can't, I can't drag myself to the water fast enough. Basically, because I'm a paralytic, everybody cuts mm-hmm. in line and I can't get there fast enough. And essentially what he says is, I can't heal myself. And the moment he confesses his neediness, Jesus says, take up your mat and walk. Mm. You're healed. So there is a necessity of neediness that's perpetrated all throughout Scripture. You know, it's Jesus who says to the Pharisees, it's the sick who need a physician, not those who think they're well. And of course, there's almost a tongue in cheek there because the Pharisees are obviously very sick spiritually. They, they understood the legalism of Torah. They didn't get the love of God. And Jesus says, it's only when you recognize that you can't make it by yourself that you're actually going to be healed, that you're going to be made well. I think pretense is one of the biggest barriers to intimacy with Jesus and intimacy with each other. And so mm-hmm. if ever there was a lie that was cloaked in in something that's tweetable, it's fake it till you make it. It's not true. Mm-hmm. It's just not right. true. It leads to leads to distance with God first and foremost, and distance with other people. So, if someone's uh, listening right now and they're like, "Okay, but how do I change? I've been living mm-hmm. my life according mm-hmm. to this, yeah. And if I stop, everyone's going to see me as a sham or as right. a fake, or yeah. you know, and and on and on. What encouragement would you give them?" Well, I would say it is hard. So I'm not going to give you some Pollyanna response and say, oh, you just flip a switch and all of a sudden you're have no pretense and everything's hunky dory. My counselor, I go to Christian counseling to keep it in between the lines. The answers are in God's word. I'm not always smart enough to mind those to myself, especially if it's close to a wound. And so I go to a, a wonderful Christian counselor and she said, you know, as, you, as God begins to heal you and he does heal um, that dishonesty in us. The closer we get to Jesus, the more those masks dissipate. But she said, as he begins to heal you and you become more honest, she said, it's kind of like you change your dance step. And she said, what ends up happening is if everybody in your life has been doing a waltz and all of a sudden you switch the foxtrot by being more honest, everybody's thrown off, off rhythm. Mm-hmm. You step on everybody's toes. And she said, so there will be a season where things feel a little less coordinated and it is a little messy. Now, if you get to the other side of that, oh my goodness, there's so much liberty and so much freedom and so much more peace. Mm-hmm. But no going into it, okay, I've made a little bit of mess by being dishonest. So as I begin to be honest and straightforward and I, and I let my guard down and I don't wear a mask anymore, it, it's, it's going to be messy for, for a minute. But that messy is so redemptive and it's mm. like this weight comes off your shoulders when you go, you know what, I'm not, I'm not dancing for the approval of other people anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if I get likes on social media, fine. If I don't 
you know, that's, that's not where my identity is. Let me just be honest before the Lord. Let me confess when I need my brothers and sisters around me to, to carry me to the roof and lower me to Jesus because I can't do it myself. There's something about honest humility that ushers in freedom. Um, you just don't have to carry the weight of your whole life anymore. Jesus carries the weight of your life and other people can actually help you through the hard seasons. I love that, Lisa, the part that you're saying, honesty ushers in freedom. Mm -hmm. And that is really honestly what, as we were reading your 100-day devotions and the stories you were sharing, both from your own life and scripture, we really were able to see that, how you were honest and how God met you in those places, whether they were uh, broken or hurtful or rejoicing too, right? The good things in our life yeah. and realizing and reminding us that God is more than enough. And Daniel, as you were asking that question, like, what if, what if we were faking it before? What do we do now? I love even in your own personal stories, Lisa, how you showed us through your own life and your own wisdom of how God met you when you were in all different aspects of your life. Mm. So we would love for you to share your wisdom and experiences with our podcast family about a few of these places. And uh, if we can start off with um, your singleness and your mm. parenting, how have you seen God meet you in those places? Mm. That's a great question, Christina. Thank you. First of all, thank y'all that you actually read some of it. I never expect people to actually read them. So it's very refreshing. I owe you some fancy coffee and maybe some, <laughs> some dark chocolate. Um, you know, he, I, 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 concise has never been my gift. So it's hard to say everything God has taught me with regards to singleness and parenthood. Um, I, I will say it like this. I was single because I was broken. I was uh, very drawn to abusive men when I was younger because there was a lot of molestation in my background. And I just, I felt dirty and I felt damaged. And so the men I was most attracted to were abusers. That was my default. That felt comfortable to me. And so because our God is kind and he's a redeemer, he protected me from the men that I was drawn to mm -hmm. in the natural and the few good guys, godly guys I dated, God protected them from me because I was a toxic hot mess in my 20s and 30s. I, I loved Jesus. I knew Jesus. Um, I, I understood at some level him as my savior. I, I didn't for a moment believe that he could delight in me. So I really missed out on intimacy with Jesus. I was pretty ruled by shame for a long time. And so so our God isn't capricious. I'm not single because he's a mean God. I'm, I'm single because there were consequences to having toxic relationships. And so by the time I got to my 40s and he had pulled out really the deepest roots of toxicity in my, in my heart and in my mind, I thought, well, goodness gracious, I have sabotaged my shot at being a mom because I'm not married. You know, at this point, my ovaries are raisins. It's just not going to happen for me. And um, I didn't even think I had the right to adopt as an older single woman. And it's too long a story to tell how, how God redeemed that. But the fact that God wove me into the story of this amazing mm -hmm. little girl whose first mama had passed away and and really just restored to me the years I had served up to locust on a silver platter. And it's a promise mm -hmm. from the Old Testament in the book of Joel. Mm -hmm. um, and allowed me to become a mom. I became a mom. I brought Missy home from Haiti after a two-year adoption process. 
um, the year I turned 50. So I always tease and say I went through menopause and motherhood at the same time. <laughs> it has just been extraordinary. I mean, every day um, I've had Missy home this spring, we'll celebrate our seventh year, seventh gotcha day. Uh, Been in process for nine years because the, the adoption took two years. And I lost two adoptions prior to Missy. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't mm-hmm. easy street. There were, I mean, my heart was filleted in the process. And I think that's one of the places where God kept me tender instead of self-protective. And um, I, it, it, the whole thing has been such a miracle. I feel like I'm still in the honeymoon stage as a mama. You know, I look at this kid who is just tangible grace. Um, I, I can't believe I get to be her mom. I love being a mother, but Missy's not my hope. Um, Missy's a gift, but my daughter's at my hope. Jesus is my hope. Right. Jesus is why I get up in the morning. If I put all my emotional needs on Missy, her little shoulders can't carry that. So she is just a tangible reminder that our God is good, that he's a redeemer, that he's not a punitive God. And, you know, the, the promise I held to throughout the adoption, but it's become just the promise for our family. It's in Psalm 68. And that's where God promises to be a father to the fatherless. Because, of mm-hmm. course, I worry sometimes about Missy not having a skin daddy. Um, and he's filled in the gaps in so many ways of her not having uh, a skin daddy, uh, an an adult man. God has filled in those gaps in extraordinary ways. She, I have to tell y'all, I had to tell her not to say everything we said at home at school because (laughs) I tend to be, you know, pretty talkative and I say things that probably shouldn't be repeated, (laughs) definitely not in public. But I will tease and talk about how you never know what God will do, that he might just bring us a baby daddy. So she went to school, her little Christian school, and when they were asking for prayer requests, she said, well, my mama's praying for a baby daddy. I was like, oh, my heavens. I was like, honey, you can't share that at school. But, you know, if God redeems that part and I get a, a literal husband and Missy gets a father, boy, that'd be awesome. But even if he doesn't do that in the natural with a human, he has been just extraordinary as a father to Missy and as a husband to me. And then the latter part of that verse says he places the lonely in families. And so just to get to be in a family has been no less than a miracle in my life. So every facet of my life I could tell you, let me tell you what God did. Let me tell you what God did. You know, it's not about where I've gotten it right. More often than not, it's where I got it wrong. And God redeemed uh, my life. God redeemed mistakes. He is the hero of every story of my life. Oh, I love that, Lisa. You're sharing everything that God has um, been to y'all. Right, just meeting you in the places where you're hoping to see something, and maybe Missy's hoping to see something, and just realizing, oh God, you are enough. Mm-hmm. You are enough, mm-hmm. and I love that. And uh, I mean, this whole pa- pandemic, the whole year, has yeah. just been one where I think has been characterized. A lot of people are saying of loss, and especially mm-hmm. uh, those who have lost a loved one. Maybe haven't yeah. been able to share in the grief in the way they've wanted to with funeral restrictions, things like that. I'm wondering if you could talk to that part about um, the loss yeah. of a loved one. Where it, where is God in that? Yeah, um, 
you know, it's funny you, when you said God is enough, that really has been the lesson. I think the overarching lesson is that canopy of his faithfulness that he Mm. is enough throughout, throughout this whole last year. So that has been so, um, such an unusual year, such a difficult year. And we experienced a lot of loss. Um, it, just about a month into COVID, someone very, very, very close to us uh, took his own life. And his suicide um, just wrecked us. And I felt mm-hmm. like the legs had been kicked out from under my stool. And um, there were, you know, kind of the re- reverberations of that loss. There were weeks that I would wake up. And, you know, when you wake up to consciousness and go, oh, goodness. And you remember it's true over and over again. He's not here. He's gone. And and then to be separated from so many of our friends. And then I lost my livelihood because I I teach and, and speak traveling for a living. Mm-hmm. And so I lost the better part of a year of work. And and then there was a oh, my little girl, Missy, has HIV. And there was a season when we were, it was very difficult to access her medicine. And there was some real concern over her health. Um, by the grace of God, she is perfectly healthy, but there was a, some hiccups with her medicine and, and it was a tenuous time. It was a hard time. It was a dark time. It was a time of deep grief, but, um, you know, there's a place at the beginning of Job where Job, he, it says it's the latter part of chapter one. It says he tears his robe and he shaves his head. And those were signs of, of tangible grief in that ancient era but it says in the same verse, and then he worshiped. Hmm. And I think we tend to think of grief and praise as opposite ends of the continuum. But if you're a Christ follower and you trust that God is sovereign and you know that he uses what man intends for evil for good, and you really believe that he's a redeemer, um, I think there's a place if you will lean into grief honestly I think that lens that Paul says we see God dimly through, I think the lens clears a little bit because the seasons in my life where I've, where I've experienced the deepest grief, I used to be afraid of pain. Um, There's a lot of pain in my childhood, a lot of abuse and sexual molestation. And I really was afraid to, to grieve. I thought, I just somehow thought the dark will swallow me whole if I go there. And about 15 years ago, I went through some really serious losses. And I just, I, y'all, I wasn't sure I could survive emotionally. Mm-hmm. I thought I was going to have to fake it for the rest of my life because I thought if I actually go here into this hard space, I'm not going to be able to peel my heart back up off the pavement. And God just spoke to me very clearly and said, Lisa, you've been running from fear your whole life. So I'm going to take you to the basement and I'm going to sit there with you in the dark until Mm -hmm. fear doesn't own you anymore and you recognize I'm enough. And there were about six months that I could not get out of bed without speaking the name of Jesus out loud. That's how Mm -hmm. weak I was. And I, I think if we don't go to the dark places with the Lord and actually experience his sufficiency in our grief and in our loss, I think there's a lid on our joy. I think those two are, are, I I think those are connected. And so it wasn't until I I grieved that I, I think I really experienced the, the fullness of God's sufficiency. And so as difficult as it was to lose this 
person who was very, very close to us. And I don't have answers about that, Mm -hmm. but I ask less questions now. I know that what my soul is really longing for is the presence of God, because we're not going to get all our questions answered here. And when Mm -hmm. we get to glory, the psalmist says, when we see Jesus face to face, it'll be enough. We'll have the mind of Christ, so we won't have any more questions. But also, it just, it'll be enough. And so I'm learning to go, okay, Jesus, I'm going to try to leave my questions at your feet. And even if I don't get answers, you know how C.S. Lewis, after he lost his wife, and he was honest, just like Job. He didn't pretend like everything was okay. He grieved. He shook his fist at God, didn't understand. And he said, I didn't get an answer from God. This is in A Grief Observed by C.S. Lewis. But he says, I got a sense of, shh, child, you Mm -hmm. don't understand. And he talked about the compassion of God even in the absence of understanding. And and I think if we will quit wiggling during these seasons when we really grieve, but we'll just weep and lean back into the embrace of God or even shake our fist at God and say, I'm so mad, I'm so mad, so Mm -hmm. hurt this happened. We can bring all of us to all of God and we'll find that he's sufficient. The wait is over. Find out what happens in the thrilling conclusion of the 12th Dead Sea Squirrels book, Babylon Breakout. Hi, I'm Mike Naraki, co-creator of VeggieTales, voice of Larry the Cucumber, and author of The Dead Sea Squirrels. Get ready for more daring rescues and hilarious jokes as Merle and Pearl and their animal friends embark on a ridiculous mission to bust the kidnapped Gomez family out of Babylon, a Bible-themed amusement park with talking animals. Young readers will love the nutty misadventures of 10-year-old Michael and his friends and will learn all about biblical life lessons such as forgiveness and friendship. Read all 12 Dead Sea Squirrels books. Available wherever books are sold. Yeah. Now, thank you for that message of hope. Um, well, that's, I know that's powerful for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, and, and I know it's going to be a, a huge measure of encouragement for our podcast family. Um, so as, as we kind of wrap things up, we'd love for you to address just one more area for sure. us. Uh, you know, this past year, and it, and it kind of seems to be, uh, have been increasing year over year, uh, this, this notion where uh, we, we hurt one another with our words. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and and yeah. being behind a keyboard or behind our right. thumbs seems right. to empower and embolden people even more where they would say things that meant, would you actually say that to me right. face to face? Right. <laughs> right. Like, you would you not even, dare. Like, I don't, where right. is this coming from? And what hurts the most is that it's coming from other Christians mm. as well. Yeah. Um, so, so what, um, yeah, what, what would you say to those who are dealing with that and have had to, they're, they're wrestling with, do I, do I unfriend this person? Do I mute them? Mm-hmm. Do I block them? I just, they, there's mm-hmm. so much rhetoric, so many differing views and so much, uh, in a sense, like flaming arrows going against each right. other. Um, yeah. What, what would you say to those who are hurt by others, particularly hurt by fellow Christians? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, we're not, we're not fully sanctified <laughs> Christians. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. you know, it's Christians where I've received the most wounds. Some of the things people have said to me through the years that because I expect to get darts from people who disagree with um, with my theology. But when a fellow Christian says something, they're they're in a little closer. They can use a dagger instead of a sword. Mm -hmm. So those those wounds tend to be a little more mortal. 
um, to my emotions. And, and so I, big picture, I would go, we've got to go back to the word of God. That's where, that's where our hope is that it, it's mm-hmm. not just a plumb line. It's a lifeline. I think there's death apart from the word of God. And when you mm-hmm. go to the word of God and recognize the theology of Imago Day, that Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God made us in his image. He made us in the image of community. Augustine says only the Christian God is a perfect community unto himself. God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So we are wired for relationship. We were not wired to do life alone, but we also have to recognize every single human who's ever lived before us, who will live after us, they bear God's thumbprint. Whether or not they recognize him as their creator, redeemer or not, they bear his image. And so for us to disrespect another human being for whatever reason is uh, there, there is, um, there's something so heinous in that because we're disrespecting God himself. Mm. And so if we can't find a way to be respectful, and of course there's, you know, there's personality nuances here. There's some people who have a hard time, training their tongue or their thumb. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. the Bible says death is in the power of the tongue. And I think in mm-hmm. our culture, it's death is in the power of the thumb. Yeah, um, I, I think if you don't have discipline there, then you need to do a cleanse. Mm-hmm. And I would say it, as toxic as social media can be, just fast, just practice a fast. If the very first thing you do in the morning is roll over from bed and pick up your phone and go to Instagram or TikTok or, or Twitter or whatever it is you do. I, I would go so far as to say that's sinful. Um, mm. I would go, uh-uh, you go to the word of God first. You go to prayer first. Say the name of Jesus first. That has to be what calibrates your heart. And then back up. Think a moment. Uh, a friend of mine's mother taught her that whenever she came home from school and somebody had been mean to her, somebody had bullied her, her mom had a rule. And her mom said, Melinda, her name is Melinda Doolittle. She's amazing. And her mom said, Melinda, before you can say one negative thing about anybody, I want you to first say three positive things about them. Yeah. And she said mm. she'd get so frustrated. She'd go, mom, because she was like, Ugh. <laughs> And then sometimes she had to work really hard to find those three positive things. But she said, by the time I got to wanting to fuss about them, Usually all of my anger, my energy had dissipated because I had focused on something good about him. You know, uh, Brennan Manning, who I uh, love his writing, he just got the mercy of God. He was a mess, but goodness gracious, he got God's mercy. And he says, if we could see where our enemy weeps, they would cease to be our enemy. Wow. And so when we begin to go, okay, I'm going to practice the process of a Mongo day. I'm going to try to. I'm going to try to find God's thumbprint in every individual I have the joy and the privilege of coming into contact with. And I, I practice this on planes before COVID. I, I fly usually about 200 times a year, and sometimes I'm like, "Oh my goodness, there's a tattoo I cannot see on my forehead that says, please, if you're a large man with bad hygiene, come sit right next to me,' <laughs> because that's always what happens. You know, they steal my armrest, they get all up in my space, they, and I'm just like, ugh. I'll feel my irritability, you know, just start to rise. And I started practicing that on planes. I'd be like, okay, Mm. I'm going to find God's thumbprint in this big Mm. brash man who just hogged the armrest. (laughs) And, you know, usually it doesn't take much 
Within 10 minutes, I'd ask them a question about their kids. And as they started talking about their kids and how it was hard to be away from their kids, I'd be like, oh, yeah. my gosh, what a lovely man. Because we are wicked and depraved, but we're also made in God's image. And sometimes it just takes a little bit of scratching beneath the surface to find that thumbprint. And so if we would practice that, and then if we would practice, okay, let me find what makes them weep. Because I know this is an old adage, but I think it's true. Hurt people hurt people. Mm-hmm. And so if you could see what causes them to spew that kind of hatred or vitriol on social media, uh, I think usually we'll be tempted to pray for them before we eviscerate them. And then for Mm -hmm. goodness sake, limit the time you're on your phone. Set an alarm. Don't be on social media more than 10 or 15 minutes a day. Just don't. It's not healthy. It leads us to uh, comparison kind of thought patterns. Mm -hmm. And comparison thinking makes us feel smug or it makes us feel small. So limit. Think of it like, you know, Diet Coke or, or, I don't know, something super carby. Just limit it. Have it in small yeah. doses. Otherwise, it's toxic. Well, podcast family, I don't know about y'all, but I wish this interview could go on for another couple hours. Um, but the beautiful thing is Lisa has written a devotional uh, called Life, an obsessively grateful, undone by Jesus, genuinely happy and not faking it through the hard kind of stuff devotional. You did it in one breath. Yeah, of course yeah, that, was one breath, you know? that was impressive. That was impressive. I got to practice. Yeah. And you know what? In this devotional, you're going to get more of what you've experienced oh, yeah. in this interview. So be sure to pick it up. And and Lisa, I know you've uh, said to limit our time on social media, but where can our, our podcast family? <laughs> yeah. uh, and see Missy see and you dancing. Yes, yeah. We want to see the ATV. We want to see that too. <laughs> it is, um, it's, goodness, what are my socials? I think it's Lisa D. Harper. I'm pulling up my own phone right now. <laughs> Total hypocrisy. Lisa D. Harper. Lisa D. Harper on okay. socials. And then it's lisaharper.net. Uh, don't go to .com. She wears less clothes than I do. So lisaharper.net. <laughs> social media <laughs> so <laughs> i know i just should not have thrown you with that one <laughs> you know, where that that well, came up from just my naughty spirit right? yeah. it's true though it's true you wouldn't believe how many people have said you know she is on there with trashy pictures with santa i'm like it's not me it's not me yeah. <laughs> like she's the one who writes the devotionals yeah. okay <laughs> That's right. she needs to read her own devotional yeah, yeah. Oh, well thank you lisa thank you so much oh thank y'all today. daniel and christina it's been such a treat y'all need to y'all need to come back and at least visit nashville we need y'all to come back we need a little more of y'all spirit here Oh, oh, yeah. Sure. Our we, kids are. Can't yes, wait for the day. We want to. Good. Open up the board. Yeah. And, and in the meantime, <laughs> go to Tim Hortons for me and get one of his coffees. I love me some Tim Hortons. <laughs> Always. We live like awesome. five minutes away. So yeah. we will cheers well, to you. <laughs> I won't admit that I like their donuts, but I actually like their coffee and their donuts. <laughs> <laughs> Us too. Well, thanks, Lisa. <laughs> Okay, was she not absolutely hilarious? Mm. But so deep as yeah, well. Yeah. I felt there was times where I was laughing and then pausing. I'm like, oh, I'm going to cry. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just wanted to keep on going. Mm-hmm. I was like, can, we just, so can we just keep much. on rolling here? Because this is amazing. Yes. So like we said at the end of the interview, if you want more of this, then be sure to pick up a copy of her newest devotional, Life. And obsessively grateful, undone by Jesus, genuinely happy and not faking it through the hard kind of stuff. 
Oh, hard stuff kind of devotional. <laughs> oh, I kind of messed it. it. But I still did it in one breath. <laughs> That's right. You still got it. Awesome. We'll have links to that and everything else that we talked about at inbetween.org slash episode 135. All right. So next week on episode 136, what are we going to be talking about? We are going to be talking about what a toxic person looks like and interviewing Gary Thomas about it. Ooh, you're going to love this one. See you next week. <laughs>